Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Uh, we are in a teaching series called The Happiness Project. And, uh, you know, some may think this is sort of a frivolous uh, topic in light of all the more important things that are happening in our world. But I do want to remind you of what Jesus said, the very reason he came into our world. He said, I have come that you may have life to the full. And uh, a few chapters later in John's Gospel, chapter 15, uh, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You know, in that very context, uh, Jesus said, when this happens, when our joy is made full, when we become uh, truly, uh, genuinely glad and happy people, God gets the credit. And uh, he said it like this, uh, my father is glorified when you bear much fruit and so give evidence or prove to be my disciples. Well, we've seen in this series that uh, true happiness can be kind of a moving target, can be elusive, can be hard to actually take hold of. Uh, we looked at these uh, famous words of King Solomon. He said, uh, you know, he had every prerogative known to humankind. He had wealth and power and influence. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired in his quest for happiness. He said, I refused my heart no pleasure. Uh, but when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And so, uh, yes, uh, real happiness is God's intentions for people, uh, but we often uh, do the wrong things to try to bring that kind of fullness into our lives. Well, uh, we saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus gave kind of a revolutionary pathway to a life of uh, happy and blessed uh, status. So we call it the Beatitudes, and it's from the opening words of his Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, you know, Jesus presented a, a, a pathway to happiness that looks quite different than what we might advocate. It's a pathway of becoming poor in spirit learning how to mourn appropriately when uh, brokenness creeps into our world. Uh, the meek who've learned to harness their strength and uh, yield to God's will and his ways, they hunger, they thirst uh, for God to show them what's right and the, give them the ability to do that. They've learned the value of being merciful to others because they know they desperately need God's mercy themselves. They're progressively becoming pure in heart and as Jesus promised, are seeing God more and more uh, they learn to bring people together rather than push them apart and they're okay uh, when they have to endure hardship uh, for making good choices you know all of these jesus said uh, result in a life that is happy and blessed and uh, like we said it's not the usual pathway in fact that uh, jesus said in another place uh, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like it's like treasure hidden in a field and when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold uh, all that he had so that he could buy that field. And what Jesus is saying is uh, when we discover uh, the secret pathway uh, to a life that is truly full and blessed and happy and content, uh, we'll do everything we can to take hold of it. And that's the nature of God's kingdom. Uh, we've been looking at Paul's, the Apostle Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi, 
uh, where it's kind of a roadmap uh, to a life that is happy and blessed by following uh, the way that Jesus prescribed. In fact, uh, Paul uses the word joy and rejoice over 16 times uh, in these four chapters that make up his letter. And you know, Paul, as we've established, was no stranger to hardship and difficulty. In fact, he's writing this letter from prison, and yet he experiences great joy. He's discovering that hidden treasure of the kingdom of God. And we saw uh, right away in Paul's opening words uh, that he underscored the things that truly do make us happy. And these are things that uh, all the happy researchers in our day and age, uh, the sociologists, the psychologists, the therapists, they all would agree uh, with Paul's view of what really fills our lives up. Uh, Paul established that happy people have a purpose or a mission to live for that is bigger than themselves. And for us, it's what he called the partnership in the gospel, that once we experience God through the gift of Jesus, uh, our lives become built around making God known to others. And uh, there is a huge purpose in, in God using uh, your talents, your abilities, your interests, your location, your vocation in life to communicate the life of God to others. Uh, Paul also said that happy people uh, generally have an optimistic, positive view of their personal narrative, their life story. And for Paul, uh, he said, I am fully confident that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body and that uh, God will finish the good work he started in us. Uh, Paul also uh, put this uh, happy uh, truth out there that happy people see their sufferings as purposeful and meaningful. And uh, what Paul was able to share from his own life is that uh, even his imprisonment was serving to advance the gospel. In fact, when Paul signs off this wonderful letter on joy and rejoicing, he, he uses these words. He said, all of God's people here in Rome send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. What he was saying is through his imprisonment, the good news of God's availability came through him, uh, even to members of Caesar's household who had become followers of Christ through Paul's adversity. And finally, uh, Paul establishes this truth that happy uh, people see themselves as lifelong learners. And uh, he says right away in his letter to his friends in Philippi that he's confident that God who began a good work in them will see it through to completion until the very day of Jesus Christ. So they never stop learning and growing and becoming uh, what God has called them to be. In fact, uh, that thought will carry us in uh, to the rest of Paul's letter. Uh, we saw in chapter 2 uh, that uh, Paul's friends had begun to stray off the pathway to true happiness. Uh, they were starting to experience division among them and conflict and uh, a sense that some people were in the know and they were superior to the other more common uh, followers of Christ. And so Paul uh, had to give them some uh, weird happiness advice. It sounded like this. Uh, he said, you should choose the bottom rung uh, in your relationships with each other. Go to the back or the end of the line. Uh, learn to think about others first. Be okay with being last. And uh, Paul gave a great example 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who although he was equal to God, he emptied himself, became a servant, being found in human form, uh, he, he, he uh, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, and really poured himself out for others. And Paul is saying, hey, you want to get on the pathway to real happiness? Learn to follow that example. Learn to see yourself as the servant of everyone, even the people who may be offensive to God. Give yourself so that God can display his unconditional love through you. Well, uh, today we come to Philippians chapter 3. Paul gives some more weird happiness advice. Uh, he says, uh, you want to be really happy? Well, you better learn how to do this. Lose your religion. <laughs> you better learn to lose your religious disposition in order to find uh, that kind of joy that comes from a re living relationship with Jesus. Here's how Paul takes us down that track. He says, further, my brothers and my sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Now, uh, Paul He's not kidding when he says, I want you to learn to do this. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, look, if nothing else good happened between you and God, if there were no other blessings that flooded into your life today, you can start every day with this reality. You can find joy in what God has already done for you through Jesus Christ He's forgiven us every sin that separated us from God. He's caused us to be born again to a new and living hope. He's given us an eternal inheritance. Uh, he sealed us with the presence of his Holy Spirit. As Paul would say, if God is for us, who can be against us? And what can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ? Uh, Paul is saying, you can start every day, regardless of what's going to come your way. And what unexpected difficulties you might face, you can start every day by rejoicing, by thanking God for everything he's already done. Someone once made this quote. They said, Christian joy, the exaltation of spirit that flows from acceptance of the free gifts of God's grace is the best protection of all against a negative and divisive outlook on life. Would you hear those words again? The kind of joy we're talking about that if God never did anything else for you but what he's already done, the kind of joy that comes from celebrating that, according to this commentator, is the best protection of all against a negative and divisive outlook on life. And uh, Paul says, uh, he says, look, it doesn't bother me to have to say this to you again and again and again. In fact, he says, uh, uh, for you, for me to remind you to rejoice in what God has already done through Christ, it's not a burden to me. It's not a hardship to me. In fact, he says, it's a safeguard uh, for you. It's a safeguard. And I would ask the question, when we rejoice daily, when we thank God for what he's already done, uh, what is that a safeguard against what does that protect us from well paul's answer would be this it protects us from bad religion from the kind of religion that uh, takes joy away that removes a, a sense of gratitude 
from our experience of God. In fact, I would define a bad religion in this way. It's uh, any ongoing response to God, uh, any uh, practice of the Christian faith, often with a focus on self-discipline, that does not produce joyful gratitude to God and compassionate love for people is bad religion. You know, any kind of uh, discipline experience of the good news that doesn't produce joy-filled gratitude to God and compassion and love for people is bad religion. Kind of like this picture of, uh, you know, I, I opened up a fresh bag of kale the other day thinking I'm going to make a great salad. And when I opened it, it smelled. <laughs> Something had gone bad in that bag. And uh, Paul is saying, look, if, if we learn to find our joy in what God has already done for us, uh, we can uh, become uh, sensitive uh, to bad religion. You can smell it when something is off. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus told a story uh, of what bad religion looks and acts like. Uh, we call it the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, but in this particular story, uh, a man has been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. He's in desperate need. And uh, he has nothing to merit that anyone would do anything good for him. And two religious guys come by, both of them leaders in the church, and uh, they find ways to go around him because they've got important religious stuff to tend to. And Jesus said the point of this story is along comes a Samaritan. This guy's got nothing going for him, nothing that would make him one of God's elite. And yet he stops, notices this man in need, has compassion on him, gives of himself, uh, takes the man uh, after bandaging up his wounds, takes him to an inn, uh, pays for a stay. Uh, and, uh, you know, Jesus said, this is good religion. It's that kind of response to God that results in gratitude and love and compassion for others. And uh, Paul, uh, in writing to his friends in Philippi, uh, says, you've got some people among you that may have started well, but their interpretation now of, uh, of a response to God is that uh, there's all kinds of additional things. Before you can ever rejoice, before you can be glad, there are conditions you have to meet. There's some performance. you got to pony up if you want to expect God to act on your behalf. And Paul says, no uncertain terms, watch out for people like that. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And uh, we'll kind of unpack what he's saying there, but he, he's saying, look, uh, when you smell bad religion that creates a heaviness and a sense of duty that squeezes the joy out of life, uh, be careful. Uh, he says, for it is we who, who are the circumcision. Uh, we don't need to do anything else to merit God's favor, Paul says. Uh, we who serve God by his spirit. And our boast is not in our efforts. It's in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in our effort, in our blood, sweat, and tears. We put no confidence in our ability to make ourselves presentable to God. Paul says, look, if you want to play that game? He said, I myself have reasons for such confidence. And let's just make a fact here. Paul's ticked off. He's ticked off at any kind of interpretation of the Christian faith 
that would squeeze the joy out of life and uh, make it okay uh, to not care about people who have needs and who are broken. Uh, Paul's angry at a religious perspective that claims to have an inside track on God, yet bears none of the evidence of being near the person of Jesus Christ. Paul's ticked off about that, and he wants us to share that same reaction. Uh, he's mad at a way of interpreting Christianity that is more about what we do that separates ourselves uh, apart from others and perhaps puts ourselves up a rung. He, he's ticked at that uh, because it's not the heart of God that was expl uh, expressed and uh, demonstrated through the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul says we put no confidence in the flesh. And I want to ask you to think about that for a moment. Uh, what would it mean as a person of faith uh, to put confidence in your flesh, in your abilities, in your dedication, in your effort? Uh, Paul says we put no confidence in the flesh. And when I was thinking about this, I recalled a time when uh, I mistakenly put confidence in my own strength. Uh, I needed a, a landscaping rock in our front yard. Uh, so I called and ordered a, what they called a three-person rock. And I thought, you know what? Just dump this rock in the yard and I'll move it where it needs to be. Well, after that rock was dumped, I realized why they called it a three-person rock, because one person can't do a thing with it. I couldn't even begin to get this thing to budge. And, you know, that's kind of an illustration. When we put confidence in our flesh to somehow merit God's favor in our lives, to somehow make us a little bit better than people who don't follow the rules the way that we do, Paul says we're putting confidence in the flesh. You know, bad religion of this kind that puts the emphasis on our effort, it's, it's one of the detriments to genuine happiness. It removes that joy that God wants to fill our hearts in our lives with that provokes, uh, provokes a good lifestyle. Uh, bad religion deceives us into thinking that we're somehow living in accordance with the will of God when in fact we're opposing what brings about his kingdom in our lives. Now, Paul now lists the things he could place confidence in if he chose to focus on his own arduous effort to please God. He said, look, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the Old Testament law. I was of the people of Israel. In fact, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, which had a, a real history of being virtuous, of being exemplary, of towing the line, doing all the things that God expected of his people to do. Paul says, that's, that's my heritage. Uh, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born to Hebrew parents. I wasn't adopted. And in regard to the laws of God, well, I was a law keeper. In fact, I was at the top. I was a Pharisee. Uh, as for zeal, you're not going to find anyone that was more dedicated than me. I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was absolutely faultless. You know, uh, Paul talks about his zeal uh, for living out his faith. Uh, he wasn't messing around uh, Paul was uh, absolutely dedicated to God. 
He was zealous to live by the scriptures, by the Old Testament revelation of God's truth. He was committed to bringing God's truth into a broken world, and he would do anything to bring that about. And here's the thing about Paul. He was dead wrong. He was absolutely opposing God. We're shown our first glimpse of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, chapter 7, a young man by the name of Stephen. Uh, he'd been appointed to serve uh, food uh, to the uh, uh, older women in the church that were being neglected in the distribution of food. But uh, Stephen uh, has an opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus. He's preaching really one of the most wonderful sermons uh, recorded in the New Testament. And when it comes to a point where he's calling these stiff-necked religious leaders to repent uh, from their, their, uh, their own effort and trust in God's willingness to forgive them and make them as children, uh, we're told uh, they, they were enraged against the things he was saying. It says as they covered their ears, they were yelling at the top of their voices and they rushed at this young man, Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And uh, then this telling uh, description of uh, Saul, who would become known as the Apostle Paul. And Saul approved of their killing him. And Saul began to destroy the church, the followers of Jesus. So zealous was he for the ways of God, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. And you know, uh, such is the value of religious superiority. Uh, Paul told the line. He kept the scriptures. He was zealous. He was fervent and beyond his countrymen. But as I said, he was absolutely dead wrong. And uh, he wasn't responding uh, to the heart of God, even though he was putting all of his fervor and effort into it. And uh, at this point, you know, when it comes to putting confidence in our efforts, I have to ask you, what would your list look like? You know, Paul gave us his. He was from the right heritage, godly upbringing, good mentors, applied himself to know the truth, uh, was dedicated to living it out. I had to look at some of my own efforts that I sometimes trust in. You know, I read the Bible every single day, have uh, for over uh, 45 years that I've walked with Jesus, I just, uh, I love uh, to be in the scriptures. I'm faithful in church attendance. I give a portion of my income to God and his work. Uh, I have scripture verses uh, written out. I've memorized large portions of the Bible. Uh, I made sure that all my children attend church all their lives, that they were baptized into the faith in agreement with uh, what mom and dad believed. You know, we all have our lists of things that we do to try to please God and live for him. Uh, but here's the key that Paul's touching on. If we look to any of those things to give us any merit before God or to somehow separate us and put us somewhat above people who don't apply themselves the way we do, we're drifting into bad religion. We're putting confidence in our efforts and not resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And here's how Paul describes that shift. He says, whatever were gains to me, whatever things I looked to, to, to buffer me up, to set me apart, 
He says, I now consider them as loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now, Paul's now seeing uh, all of those good things he applied himself to, that zeal, that effort. He says, it really, they were hindering me from resting in the finished work of God through Christ. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, you know, this is like the man in search of fine pearls that Jesus talked about. Once he finds God's kingdom, he sells everything that he has so that he can take possession. And so uh, Paul goes there. He says in Philippians 3, verse 7, I consider all of these things garbage. <laughs> the word is actually dung, dog poop, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from my own efforts, uh, from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Uh, you know, uh, here's really what drives uh, Paul's decision to take uh, what he once considered virtuous meritus in his life that kind of set him apart from the heathen masses, drove his behavior uh, to critique others by his standards. He says, now I see all of that as garbage. It has no value to me whatsoever for this reason. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his living presence. I want to participate in his sufferings. You know, you could stop right there. To participate in the sufferings of Christ isn't just going through difficult times. It's laying down your life to serve people who are far from God. That's what Jesus did. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Paul says, I want to live like that so that I can know Christ, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Uh, not that I've already obtained all this, he'll go on to say, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then uh, kind of this final thought, he says, uh, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I don't fully know Christ. I don't experience the power of his resurrection. I don't live out his suffering for others every day. But here's what I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, we talk about the road to happiness. Uh, this is a surprising one. Uh, Paul says you, you really want to take hold of the fullness of joy that Jesus came to give us. That kind that leads to joy unspeakable and full of glory. Well, learn to do this. Learn to lose your religion as far as your own self-effort to somehow make you worthy to God or living out his promises and turning those standards into expectations on others. Paul says, I set all of that aside and learn to find that that rightness with God that comes from resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, I would uh, end with this uh, illustration. It kind of asks the question, how badly do you want it? In this illustration, this uh, picture you'll see here, uh, this is a, a wo woman named Shawnee Miller of the Bahamas. 
she took the gold medal after she fell across or really literally dove across the line as an American runner, uh, stayed on her feet. And, uh, you know, it's such a picture of someone who's straining, giving everything they have to take hold of a prize. And uh, I would end with this uh, consideration. Uh, I apply it to myself as well. Uh, what does taking hold of Jesus look like for you? What what would that look like for you today? Perhaps you've got a, a long history, as I do, of trying to walk with Christ and live out his life in the world. Uh, here's what it meant for Paul. Uh, whatever were gains, uh, I consider them losses. I consider everything on the debit side of the column because of the surpassing worth of just knowing, responding, experiencing the presence of of Jesus Christ today, I consider all of these things garbage so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Uh, Paul says, my goal, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death because I realize that's not only how I'll find the blessed and happy life, it's how I'll be the greatest good in this world, uh, forgetting what is behind I reach for what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. You talk about it being a lifelong learner. Well, here's Paul's example. Would you join me in a prayer? Father, thank you for the upward call of God in Christ that you have on every single human being. Maybe as you're hearing this message, you've never responded to that call and you're seeing front and center person of Jesus. He is the pearl of great price, and uh, really, uh, God has made it very simple. Uh, our eternal destiny hinges on our response to him, and uh, I would just encourage you, uh, if you've never done that before, right where you're at, just say, Jesus, I open up to you. Uh, I, I need what you bring. Uh, thank you for your death on the cross. Uh, thank you for forgiving me of my sin. I thank you for your living presence. I invite that in to my life, and I pray that you'd give me the, uh, the clarity of mind and heart and spirit to sense your living presence, to respond to you. Maybe you've walked with Christ for decades. This message would be a callback. Uh, thank God for the Bible. Uh, thank God for the church. Thank God for the disciplines of our faith. But none of those things give us any merit in our relationship with God, we have the opportunity to rejoice today in what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. We stake our claim and we realize the greatest good we can bring into the world comes with returning every day to that simple, uh, humble response to the gift of grace through the person of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, I'm so glad that you have joined us uh, for this uh, read through Paul's amazing letter to his friends in Philippi. Do want to encourage you, uh, find a way to read through it on your own this week. And uh, I look forward to seeing you right here next week.